Hey everyone, my name is Jason Parker, and I want to welcome you to the Coastal Church Podcast. I'm super excited for you to hear this message. We believe that God wants to speak to us, and we hope that you're open to hear what He has to say to you today. Enjoy. Man, I love listening to you guys sing. I, uh, I, it's kind of like eavesdropping. I'm listening to you guys. Sometimes I just stop singing for a second. I listen to you worship, and I wish we had a recording for, like, how we sound it. Not, not that it matters how we sound. The Bible says make a joyful noise. It doesn't have to be a good sound. <laughs> but I, I'd love for us to be able to hear how we worshiped four years ago. Some of you were there. Some of you weren't. A lot of you weren't. But I'd love to hear the difference between how we worship today to how we worshiped four years ago. Because I think we'd all notice a market difference. And not that back then four years ago was bad, but there's a whole lot of you that are here today that are actually in relationship with Jesus that weren't before. There's a lot of transformed lives in this room that had yet to experience that transformation. And y'all worship with a greater intensity than you have before. Whether you realize it or not, there's just, there's just more of a, just a corporate heart to worship Jesus, and I think that's an awesome thing. And so I just wanted to just affirm that in you, and you're learning to worship God despite your circumstances. And maybe that's just, maybe that's just an incredible gift that God's given to us. And as you learn to do that, as you learn to instead of letting your circumstances control you, you learn and choose to worship God in the midst of your circumstances, that's actually the pathway to maturity. It's learning to, to bless and praise God in the midst of our circumstances, to learn how to actually rejoice, as the Scripture says. So tonight we're, we're going to, you know, dive into the Scriptures here in a second. But about two weeks ago, um, I believe it was two weeks ago, time kind of gets lost on me here now with everything that's gone on in the last few weeks, um, we had a service prepared to kind of honor God with and hopefully would be a blessing to you. And at 3 p.m., two hours before the service, the staff, James and Alex and I decided that we needed to kibosh the sermon and change the song selections and go with a totally different plan because our community was in crisis. And so, um, so the message that was meant for y'all for two weeks ago um, you're going to get tonight, but it's a little bit adapted, and it probably hits differently than today, post-fire, than it would have a few weeks ago. A few weeks ago, we celebrated baptisms, and we were kind of going to do a service of celebration, and it just felt like it was inappropriate to do that. And in some terms, even here today, it still feels kind of inappropriate because a lot of us are still processing, a lot of us are still kind of in a bittersweet kind of um, perspective in the sense that we're relieved, we feel good, we're glad that the fire that was imminent is no longer on our doorstep, so to speak, but there's still just a lot of emotional turmoil, and so celebration seemed a little bit off. And so I want to dive into the scriptures tonight about, like, how do, we, how do we have God's perspective in the wake of adversity? Now, some of us are still very much in it, but for a lot of us, it feels like it's starting to kind of move past, but how do we actually get God's perspective in the wake of adversity? Now, for some of us in the congregation, maybe the last few weeks, you, you felt it. You're not insensitive to things. But in terms of how it affected your own personal life, it maybe wasn't as disruptive for you. 
you still kind of did your job, you know, whatever. It, 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 you felt it, but it wasn't as disruptive. Now, there was a large percentage of our congregation, you were actually disrupted. You were literally um, forced to evacuate your home. You lived two plus weeks in another setting. Um, it was incredibly disruptive at every level, physically, emotionally, spiritually. Every front felt disrupted. And so you're just starting maybe just now to kind of get back into a familiar rhythm. Our staff was disrupted for a whole week. And last week in the office here, we had kind of a regular week, and it was like, oh, man, Lord, thank you. Thank you for, again, a regular rhythm. And so that's our lives. The same is true for you. You had your rhythms and everything kind of disrupted. And so for a large portion of you, that was your story. And then there's another portion that you went back to your homes and had to take your fridge and your freezer and all your food, or some of you maybe even went back to severe loss. And so in this room here today, a couple weeks removed from this, you know, this situation, or a couple days removed, frankly, there's a whole host of feelings, there's a whole host of thoughts, there's a whole host of perspectives, and it's just kind of hard to discern what do you do with that? What do you do with kind of all those different things, and how do you get God's perspective when your emotions are going all over the place? And there's a discipline that seems really counterintuitive to the face of adversity and grief and loss. There's a discipline that there's something that, that God actually calls us to do that we may not feel like doing. We lean into something the scripture commands us to do in the midst of adversity. You know what the Bible actually instructs us to do in the wake of adversity, frankly, in the midst of suffering? Some of y'all said it. To rejoice. And some of our immediate reaction is, no, I don't want to. And I get it, because I don't want to. It feels so unnatural. Rejoice in the midst of suffering? Really, Lord? Really? So let's just hold it here. Let's just hold it here for a sec. I think once we see the whole picture, God's not being insensitive here. I think once we see the whole picture, it, it actually unlocks our ability to rejoice in the midst of our suffering. Let's, let's kind of dive into the scripture. Why should we rejoice in the midst of adversity? This is what the Bible says. Not only that, but we rejoice in our sufferings, knowing that suffering produces endurance, endurance produces character, character produces hope, and hope does not put us to shame. Because God's love has been poured into our hearts through the Holy Spirit who's been given to us. So we rejoice in our suffering because God produces something good. Matter of fact, if you look at this passage of Scripture in Romans chapter 5, it's literally the process by which God transforms us, isn't it? You see it there? Let's just go back here for a second. It says, suffering produces endurance. Endurance produces character, and character produces hope. That's a transformative work that the Holy Spirit wants to do in every single one of our lives. And you know what he uses to bring about that transformation? Suffering. Most times, God is not the cause of the suffering, but God uses suffering to bring about our transformation. And I would just say this as your pastor. I get to walk with some of you 
and do life with some of you. And there's other people around you that you get to walk with in your journey with God. And I just got to say, some of y'all are growing like crazy. And you don't even realize it. Some of you are like, our church collectively is maturing in our relationship with God and in character. But if you're going through suffering and you're choosing to bless God and to worship and to press into him and do that, I just want to say to you, you are growing. So be encouraged because God is doing something in your life. And, uh, and for a lot of you, I actually see it. There's a sense that God is just taking you deeper and maturing you and helping you to grow and grounding you. Like there's a, there's a real season of growth, I believe, that we're in collectively as a church, but in particular in your life as an individual. So be encouraged. I believe you're growing. And one of the main reasons you're growing is because you've had to endure suffering. Hashtag pandemic. Hashtag wildfires. Hashtag life. If you're pushing through that with Jesus, you're growing. James kind of echoes this same sentiment. It says this, count it all joy, my brothers, when you meet trials or various kinds. No, I don't want to. Count it all joy, my brothers, when you meet trials of various kinds. Why on earth would we count it joy when we are faced with various trials? Why? Well, here's the answer. For you know that the testing of your faith produces steadfastness. And let steadfastness have its full effect that it may be perfect and complete, lacking in nothing. Now, hear me out. You are not rejoicing because of bad things that are happening to you. You're not rejoicing because of all the negative things that are happening in your life. You're rejoicing in the fact that even though that is so terrible, God has this ability to use it in your life. Does that make sense? It doesn't make sense. Okay. Let's try that again. You are not rejoicing in the terrible circumstances that you're experiencing right now. You're rejoicing because God can use the terrible circumstances for your good, in particular, to transform your life. Again, you're not rejoicing for the circumstance. You're rejoicing for how God uses the circumstance in your life. So we can count it all joy, joy, even though it feels somewhat unnatural. It feels like not the thing we want to do. But we make a conscious choice to celebrate as a discipline. Rejoicing, celebrating is a spiritual discipline, kind of like reading your Bible in prayer. We do it because it actually puts us in a position to receive grace from God, even at times when you don't feel like doing it. How many of y'all always feel like reading your Bible? All right, we got one. <laughs> How many of y'all feel like praying all the time? We've got four, a little bit more. For the rest of us, it's a struggle bus. Or struggle, for those of you who don't know what struggle bus means. It's a struggle to pray and read our Bible. It's a struggle to do the things that, it, it's this whole battle between the flesh and the spirit. The spirit is willing, but the flesh is weak. It's like the things that actually help us spiritually, our flesh, our bodies often don't want to do them. And so it's just like celebration. Celebration puts us in a position to actually gain God's perspective when we rejoice and do these things, but we often don't feel like doing them. 
And if we looked around the room, we'd say, yeah, you're right. You got a reason to be grumpy and upset. And like the world would actually cheer us on to that. But the scripture actually commands us to rejoice, to bless, to give God praise. Because when we rejoice and celebrate God's goodness, when we rejoice in the fact that God is using our suffering for our good, not just his good, our good, it does something. Celebration saves us from taking ourselves too seriously. Celebration helps us relax and enjoy the good things of the earth. Celebration is an antidote for the periodic sense of sadness that constricts and oppresses your heart. Celebration gives us perspective, and celebration frees us from a judgmental spirit. Celebration and rejoicing brings joy into life, and joy actually makes us strong. The Bible tells us that the joy of the Lord is our strength. Let me say it one more time. The joy of the Lord is your strength. You feel like you got no strength? Maybe it's because you've lost the joy of the Lord, or, the, or there's, there's joy that the Lord wants to lead you into. And joy is very different than happiness. Joy is this, I was listening to this softball, um, NCAA fo- softball team and a coach on national television talking about the difference between happiness and joy. And they pointed to Jesus as this thing, like happiness comes and goes, but there's this enduring joy that's eternal, that despite your circumstances, you still have joy in the Lord, amen? That's the joy that the Holy Spirit gives. And I would just go far as to say this, is that having this joy in the Lord, being able to celebrate, actually infuses joy into these other things like Bible reading and prayer and doing all this silence and solitude. When you have joy in the Lord, you're aware of what God is doing in your life and the life of those around you. And so it actually is a motivator that actually inspires you to want to read the Bible. I want to read the Bible because I know as I read the scriptures, God is gonna use it in my life. I want to spend time in prayer and I celebrate that because as I pray, God meets with me and speaks to me and stirs me and inspires me and gives me vision. There's this sense of joy. And so instead of Bible reading and prayer and all the other things that God calls us to lean into so we can experience him, instead of it being drudgery and have-tos and a list of things to do, they actually become an opportunity, a joy, something that we actually look forward to because we have this sense of joy. And so we're going to look at a, a familiar passage of Scripture here tonight for a few moments we were in Philippians. We referenced it a few weeks ago. You hear me quote the scripture all the time. Um, and we're going to look at Philippians chapter 4 here. But we're going to look in particular at the whole passage, not just the one verse that often I quote and talk about. This is a great section of scripture to memorize. If any of you want to memorize scripture, this would be a phenomenal scripture for you to memorize. This is what the Bible says. Rejoice in the Lord. What? And again I say, I'll say it again. Rejoice in the Lord always, and again, I will say rejoice. Let your reasonableness be known to everyone. The Lord is at hand. Do not be anxious about anything, but in everything by prayer and supplication with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known to God. And the peace of God, which surpasses all understanding, will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. Finally, brothers, whatever is true, 
Whatever is honorable, whatever is just, whatever is pure, whatever is lovely, whatever is commendable, if there's any excellence, if there's anything worthy of praise, think about these things. What you have learned and received and heard and seen in me, practice these things and the God of peace will be with you. So this passage of scripture is tied together. It's not like rejoice in the Lord, that's its own thing. Be anxious about nothing but in everything prayer, that's a separate thing. And then think on things is, is, is another separate thing. These aren't like separate sermons for separate things. Even though you've probably heard sermons, and I've preached sermons even on individually. This passage of scripture is actually tied together. And it's a pathway for us to be able to be unlocked, to be able to actually celebrate God's goodness. This passage is a pathway that helps us to rejoice. And there's three things in particular about this passage of Scripture that frees us up to be able to actually rejoice and celebrate God's goodness. And the first thing is to follow the command. Can you say follow the command? Follow the command. What's the command that Paul gives us at the very beginning of this passage of Scripture? Rejoice in the Lord always. And again, I say rejoice. Paul used repetition here. And anytime in the scriptures you, repetition's used, it's there for a reason. It's a, it's, a, it's a hit it and then hit it again. It's a reminder for us that we need to rejoice in the Lord. And it's a command. So if something is given in scripture that's a command, what does it mean? It means it's not optional, <laughs> right? I don't feel like rejoicing today. Is that an option as a Christian? No, it's not. Now, that sounds really heavy and, like, forceful and, like, legalistic, and you got to, but hear me out. I'm glad it's not an option because I need it to not be an option. Because if I'm in my circumstances and they're not going so great, I don't want to rejoice in the Lord always, right? How many of you like rejoicing in the Lord always when you're in horrible circumstances? No one. I'm glad it's a command and it's not optional because in my bad circumstances, I need to be commanded by God to rejoice because that's the beginning of the pathway with into the right perspective. That's the beginning of the pathway into God's perspective in my circumstances. Does that make sense? And so I'm glad that we're commanded by God to rejoice. And if you pick up the book of Psalms, which is filled with all different kinds of prayers and laments, one of the things that it's chock full of is praise and worship, and in particular, commands to worship. Psalm 103 says, Bless the Lord, O my soul, and all that is within me, bless his holy name. It's commanding your mind, will, and emotions to actually bless God because oftentimes our mind, will, and emotions do not feel like giving praise and honor to God, right? How many of us come into a worship service, and even as a pastor sometimes, come into a worship service and we just don't feel it? We don't feel like worshiping God, and we have to tell our soul in a spiritually and emotionally healthy way to bless God. Or Psalm 100 as is full of commands to actually bless God and praise him with joy. This is what Psalm 100 says. It says, shout for joy to the Lord all the earth. Worship the Lord with gladness. Come before him with joyful songs to know that the Lord, he is God. 
It is he who has made us, and we are his. We are his people, the sheep of his pasture. Enter his gates with thanksgiving and his courts with praise. Give thanks to him and praise his name. For the Lord is good. His love endures forever. His faithfulness continues through all generations. So we're commanded to rejoice in the Lord always. We're commanded in Psalm 100 to shout for joy to the Lord all the earth. It's a command given by God. It's a command to worship the Lord with gladness. It's a command to come before him with joyful songs. It's a command to know that he is God. It's a command to enter his gates with thanksgiving and into his courts with praise. And it's a command to give thanks to him and praise his name. We are commanded by God to rejoice in him. Amen? Why? Because the Lord is good. His mercy is everlasting. And his faithfulness continues to all generations. So the first thing we need to do is we need to follow the command to rejoice in the Lord. The second thing we need to do is fight the barrier. Fight the barrier that hinders us from celebrating the goodness of God. Have you ever been one of those people that come into a worship service and you have a hard time singing praise songs from your heart? Feels like you're going through the motions? Or do you ever struggle with having like joy in your relationship with God. Most of you feel condemned for feeling that way, and I'm just here to say don't feel condemned, but there's probably a reason why we don't feel that from time to time. And it might just be that as we come into a setting like this corporately in worship or, or in our prayer closet by ourselves and we're trying to pray and seek God and there's just a heaviness and there's no joy, or when we do the things like reading our scriptures or, or fellowshipping, there's just an absence of joy, it might be because you've been laden down with care. It might be because worry and stress is weighing you down. The old King James Version says about this passage of scripture, it says, be careful for nothing. Richard Foster said it this way. He said, Paul gives us instructions with how we can always rejoice. And his first word of counsel is to be full of care for nothing. Christians are called to be free of care. but We find such a way foreign to us. He goes on to say that the spirit of celebration will not be in us until we have learned to be careful for nothing. So many of us are so weighed down with so many cares and concerns. And those cares and concerns are real. They're not, they're legitimate cares and concerns. But it, what we are called to do with those cares and concerns is to bring them to Jesus. Jesus says, cast all your cares upon him because he cares for you. And so our command given here in this scripture is to actually bring our cares to Jesus in prayer. And it's through prayer and answered prayer that the pressure gets relieved of our cares and concerns, and we're actually freed up to worship God. You see, as a Christian, this isn't about putting on a plastic smile and just being happy, happy all the time. I think there's a Sunday school song that says, I'm happy, 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 happy all the time. No. I have joy all the time. I'm not happy all the time. And you're not happy all the time. But in order for us to rejoice in the Lord, we need to bring those very real things to Jesus in prayer. 
There's a reason why he said be anxious about nothing. He wouldn't have had to commanded it to the church in Philippi if they weren't anxious about a whole lot of things. You and I are anxious about a lot of different things. So we need to bring those cares to Jesus, to the one who cares for our soul and can free us up to break that barrier, to fight the barrier that's hindering us from worshiping God. You see, your cares and concerns can be a barrier from you from seeing God and blessing and worshiping him. And so we bring our concerns to him. We pray specifically about the things that are weighing us down. We bring them to Jesus in prayer. And so as we follow the command to rejoice in the Lord, and as we fight that barrier that tries to hinder us from worshiping God, we then are given a positive thing to do. You see, fighting the barrier is dealing with the negative thing that's hindering from us from rejoicing in God. But there's also a positive instruction that Paul gives us here at the end of Philippians chapter 4, this particular section of Scripture, that really helps us actually celebrate and rejoice. And the scripture says this, it says to fix our minds, to think about these particular things. It says, whatever is true, whatever is honorable, whatever is just, whatever is pure, whatever is lovely, whatever is commendable, if there's any excellence, if there's anything worthy of praise, think about these things. The first part of the scripture deals with the barrier. This section of scripture puts our head and heart on the things they're supposed to be on. We're called to think about things that are true. You're supposed to fix your mind on Jesus. You're supposed to think about the scriptures. You're to think about the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit leads us into all truth. And you're supposed to meditate on things that are true. Like I believe that Barrington is different because of Coastal Church. That's just true. And I... Think on that thing. Think about things that are honorable, like honoring your marriage covenant. Like those of you in this room that choose to follow Jesus, even though your circumstances would tend to lead you to do otherwise. That's honorable. Blessing instead of cursing. Or the volunteer firefighters who gave so much of themselves, and let me underscore that again, volunteer. Okay? Thinking about those things are honorable. You know, when we were in our prayer circle here tonight, there was just a sense of, you wouldn't think it. You wouldn't expect it, but there was a sense of joy. And one of the things that's in this room, there's a sense of joy in this room as well, is because despite our circumstances, so many of us are thinking about the honorable things that happened in our community over the last couple of weeks. I don't know how many different people I've chatted with, but one of the conversations was that, this actually, God used this to actually bring us together as a community, amen? And some of the different things that happen, I mean, businesses and people and individuals all coming together to serve one another out of love. That's, when you think about that stuff, you're thinking about things that are honorable. That's what God wants us to do. You think about things that are just, like the cause of the poor and the displaced, Treating others how you want to be treated, as Jesus talked about. Or living in such a way that our personal, private, and business life honors Jesus in all fronts. That's things that are just. Things that are pure. 
the hearts in this room that have been cleansed by the blood of Jesus. That's pure. Giving generously without expecting anything in return or recognition. Or a selfless act of service done simply out of love. Or those really awesome cards the kids made for the firefighters. <laughs> Things that are pure. Things that are lovely, like flowers in bloom. Like lilac bushes. Like lupins. Like a beautiful slicker of a day. Things that are lovely. Things like the difference in how our church fellowships as of late. Again, I like to eavesdrop. It's my confession for the day. It's for Jesus, though, so it's all good. But man, one of the things I love to do is stand out there in the lobby, and I love to look at the new relationships that are in this room. And it's just more than just a friendship. There's like a, a depth of relationship because we're on a shared mission together. There's a depth of relationship because a lot of us have done life and wept with each other and prayed with each other and been through the ringer with each other. There's a depth in our relationships here at Coastal that is just such a beautiful thing and a gift from God. You know what that? That's thinking on things that are lovely. Isn't that a lovely thing? The Bible says, how blessed it is when brothers and sisters dwell together in unity. It's there that God commands his blessing. It's lovely. It's a, it's a lovely thing. Think about things that are commendable. Things that are commendable when people are using their gifts to honor and bless God. Think about things that are excellent. You know, people knocking things out of the park. For Jesus, I talked to a church planner who started their church back in October in St. Stephen in a rural context very similar to ours. And seeing people baptize and come to faith in Jesus in the community of St. Stephen, those things are excellent and praiseworthy. The baptisms and 70 people showing up to the South Church CR, those things are excellent. And think about things that are worthy of praise. The three people that we baptized a few weeks ago, the three, pe the three youth that were baptized this afternoon, part of our youth group. Let's go. God, for all he's doing in the life of our church, and someone writing me a note saying, I experienced the Holy Spirit for the first time. Or this past Thursday night when we had our Holy Spirit night at Alpha, man, sensing the Holy Spirit, and then someone messaging me afterwards and giving testimony to how they felt like the Holy Spirit was just like poured into them like a hot oil, and they felt something. This is awesome stuff. The kind of stuff that God does. The stuff that is worthy of praise. And there's something amazing that happens when we begin to fix our mind. We're commanded to fix our thoughts, to think about these things, not any of the other garbage. Can I say that? I guess I just did. <laughs> we are not to think about the other things. That's not self-help. That's the command of Scripture. I wonder, like... If so much of our mental and emotional health, and this isn't for everyone, but I wonder for some of us, if we struggle so much because we're thinking on things that actually don't bring life, that they bring the opposite. 
And what would it look like if we started thinking on the things that God wants us to think about? I'd like the worship team to come. I want you to do me a favor this week. I want you to grab Philippians chapter 4, verse 8. Whatsoever things are true and noble and just and commendable and excellent and praiseworthy, I want you to write those down. I want you to make a list of the things that are those realities. And as you write down the list, when you get to the bottom of it, I can almost guarantee you something will happen. You know what it will be? As you get to the bottom of the list of writing down a list of things that are true and noble and just and excellent and praiseworthy and commendable, you know what's going to happen probably when you get the end of the list of writing down all those good things? Something might come across your face. It's called a smile. And no one else will be watching, but you'll still be smiling. It's not a fake plastic smile. It's a smile because your heart has been blessed by the good things that God has brought into your life. Things that circumstances may come and go, but things that go, eternal things that God has blessed you with. And listen, there may be some of you in the room, you feel like, yeah, but there's nothing really good in my life right now. You, like, I've just gone through so much hardship as of late. It's hard for me to even think about the good things. And listen, I don't know what your life is like. And so my recommendation to you would be to think on the one good thing that never changes, and that's Jesus. If we use this scripture here in Philippians chapter 4, verse 8, he is true. He is honorable. He is just. He is so, so, so pure. He is lovely. He is commendable. He is excellent. He is worthy of praise. So let's follow the command to rejoice. Let's fight the barrier, those cares and concerns that are weighing us down. They're real. They're legitimate, but let's bring those to Jesus and let's fix our minds on things that are true and honorable and just and pure and lovely and commendable and excellent and worthy of praise. Let's set our minds on him tonight and count our blessings. The Bible says, think about the things of heaven, not things of the earth. So we have an opportunity here tonight to actually apply the sermon immediately. There's not oftentimes the very, very next thing we get to do is apply the sermon. But we have an opportunity as we sing this song to rejoice in the Lord, to set our mind on the things of heaven. And so I invite you to stand to your feet. We really hope that this message has motivated you to go deeper in your relationship with Jesus and has inspired you to join us in our mission to take Jesus into every community of Southwest Nova. If you have any questions about the sermon, if you want to know how you can get involved, send us an email at office at coastalchurchns.com. We'd love to get connected with you. Have a great day.